The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Are you seeking more energy and ready to have more healings and revealings in your life? Then you've tuned into the right program. For the next hour, listen in as Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, shares with you tools you can use to transform your life. She will guide you on a journey to create a life that is intentional and dynamic. Now, here's your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome, everyone, and thank you so much for being part of our show, whether you're listening later or you're now live streaming with us on Facebook. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, we have a wonderful guest for you today, Linda Eganis. She is an expert of some of the greatest traditions that are written from the Eastern philosophies and, and belief systems, and we're so happy that that she's here. I want to thank all of you for being an intentional spirit. And we say it all the time because we all need reminding. There's New Year's resolutions. There's people that make lists of things that they want to achieve and they have good intentions. But there's also a distinction between someone who's intentional because they are very clear about carrying through with those goals and values. They're very clear about no matter what, being committed to their dreams and their ideas. And Linda, you're one of those people, and I'm so glad you were committed to bringing us this wisdom that um, we can certainly use at any time, and we can certainly use right now. So welcome to our show. Oh, thank you, Tempo. That's very kind of you. Thank you. And so before we um, delve into, you know, uh, so much of our conversation and, and by the way, some of our live streamers do ask comments and different things. So we kind of bring them into the show as well. Um, I'd like to know a little bit, uh, prior to the book that you have written and doing the kind of work that you do now with your website, focusing on green and healthy inside out. Uh, what um, what has made you? Where where did your life start? Um, were you automatically destined in a mystery mystery school, or did you have hard <laughs> well, blocks that shaped you? The, Tell us a little bit about your your story. Well, that's a great question. I think um, you know. I would say I had I was sort of a, a spiritual seeker from the start. Um, my uh, my parents raised us to believe in God, but not to necessarily um, adhere to any one religion. My father had his issues with the Catholic Church. He was a free thinker, you could say. But um, and but I I sort of wanted a spiritual community even as a, a child, and so a friend and I joined different um, groups, uh, Christian groups, and learned about the Bible, and I really enjoyed that. <clears throat> and then when I was uh, in uh, college, I started the Transcendental Meditation Technique, and I think that was probably the big turning point in my whole spiritual journey, uh, because that gave me the means to, to, to tap into my own silence, my own um, happiness, my own source of wisdom inside, which is inside everyone, and uh, which, you know, there are many different ways to, to tap into that. And for me, this was just uh, the perfect kind of... Uh, means to to be quiet, to be silent every day for uh, 20 minutes twice a day. Uh, It just opened up a huge range of experiences for me. And uh, it even led to kind of a career because I became a teacher of the Transcendental Meditation Technique. And uh, and then I ended up teaching at Maharishi University of Management, which is a 
uh, fully accredited university in Fairfield, Iowa, where all the faculty, students, and staff all um, practice the TM technique and are experiencing this this clarity of mind and uh, rejuvenation of of spirit and um, and calmer calmer emotions and all that, which really helps with the whole learning process and helps young people to develop. Uh, you know, and and to become a more self-realized person, which is what everyone there is, is seeking. And I met my husband there. So, uh, so it's become really an integral part of my life and part of my whole journey. And then, uh, I, then I became a writer and, uh, and what I wanted to write about was, you know, being a healthy and happy person and spiritual wisdom. And so I write about the TM, Transcendental Meditation, about meditation. And I also write about uh, Ayurveda, which is the, the um, uh, healing system from India, the traditional he- healing system from India. And so um, <clears throat> for me, it's been all a kind of a, a full circle. Oh, that's a, that's a beautiful story. Um, do you feel, uh, Linda, that, that people are becoming more aware um, not only with adults and children and education, are they opening up to the fact of how we're changed so much by silence and meditation? Are we moving forward in that? And, and I know that you and I are just giving our opinions, but our opinions are important. At least we're the people on the show. So what, what's your sense about that? Why have we gotten away from it? And is it complex to get people back to it? Well, I would say <clears throat> that, you know, basically I think that, you know, tapping into the silent source, our own silent source, is really at the basis of all spiritual traditions. And maybe over the years it's, it gets lost. But I feel like we are in a revival time right now where more and more people are really seeking this, if not just to escape the stress of our modern life. The fast pace of life is forcing us to seek more silence and more inner happiness and more calm from within. And um, I, I see it as, as a huge kind of time of, of awakening uh, here in the United States and around the world. Uh, I, just as an example, when you think about today we take it for granted that the mind and body are intimately connected, that if we settle down with our mind, that the body also will settle down. But what we forget is that just 50 years ago, that was a really unheard of concept. In fact, one of my friends who was a TM teacher in New York City um, in the early 70s, uh, she said that she would, <laughs> one time she was saying this part of her in- introductory TM lecture, you know, that if you, you know, we, we, we quiet the mind through the mantra, uh, through TM, we, we allow the mind to, re- to settle down, and then the body, because the mind and body are connected, the body also settles down. And she said that this man stood up and started screaming at her and saying, there is no evidence that the mind is connected to the body or that the body is connected to the mind. And so, you know, and now, of course, science shows us this, and we, we know this from research and that it's a widely accepted paradigm. So for me, having been a um, TM meditator since 1971 and having been, you know, just seeing the whole growth of, of, of sort of this whole New Age movement, I feel like there's been lots of progress and that we're totally on the right path. <laughs> I, I I I love your your comments around that. Oh, well, that's fascinating that somebody would would take that kind of approach at this point in the twenty first century and say that the mind and the body uh, isn't connected. That's that's by itself pretty fascinating. Well, I know that um, that I had that developed... was fifty years ago though. That was fifty yeah. years ago that that person yeah. said that. Just to make clear, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I know that. Um, Many years in leading a silent retreat, first of all, you know, when it comes to me, uh, to get back into the practice of the silence, it would feel, at first it felt kind of uncomfortable, you know, because so many things were going on, but I had to develop that, that muscle, you know, that benefited from being silent, and then, of course, the benefits are, uh, that, you know, it would take more than an hour show for us to share what the what the benefits are. I, I like to tell people in some of my teachings that we forgot what it was like when we learned to write our name in, in first grade, right? Or in um, before first grade, it, it felt awkward. You know, you couldn't read it. It felt vulnerable. And that's how it feels, I think, to a lot of people when we start telling them, 
you know, oh, let's go, you know, go be in the silent. They feel uncomfortable and vulnerable. But just like we mastered being able to write our name, we learned to master the benefit in sitting in the silence. Um, I've had many chaplain retreats through my 25 years of ministry. And when you say, okay, we're getting ready to go into silence now, and I'm sure you've witnessed this many times, people become very anxious, don't they? And they start talking a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, right. I think that, um, you know, it is is very contrary to our modern life where everything is go, 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 and it's all about more and more action and being busy every single minute, even, you know, with social media invading our lives, you know, even into the night and and even in our private lives uh, and being on every moment and with the senses directed outward every moment, certainly. But yet we, we read more and more where people are saying, you know, it's it's important to unplug. It's important to to to, to go within and to, to settle down and, and just completely not not be outward directed for a while and i i think it is you're right it is scary to some people some of the time you know many times and um so i think that that's where instruction helps you know just uh helping them to people to to have that experience a simple easy experience of, of meditation i think uh you know definitely that's where uh you know the instructor is is the important part i think Absolutely, and it it really calms that that teacher archetype that the the shadow part of the teacher that you know wants to be in control and in charge and you know all those various illusions that one puts on oneself. It really relaxes that out, you know. And <laughs> and, and every every now and then, I found that you know I might be in my yada yada. You know, my mentalizing can be going to town or my theorizing, you know. But if I go into the silence, it's very interesting. It's almost like I hear my soul laughing. Uh, I know that I'm, there isn't a word for normal. I think Jerry Seinfeld says that's a, you know, a a cycle on the washing machine. But uh, do you ever have that? It's like you might be intensely uh, concerned or thinking about something or whatever. But once you go into that place of, real quiet, you almost like have a sense of humor inside. Does that happen to you or do I need to go see a therapist? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think I think it's beautiful because I I think what humor is 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 uh is just having a wider perspective. It's seeing your situation from from a wider perspective and just seeing how it fits into the whole and how it actually could be funny from a certain point of view. And it's when we're so much in the boundaries that we lose our sense of humor, I think, and we think, you know, we we become so completely uh, overshadowed by, you know, the boundaries of what is happening. But if we can step back and look at it from a wider perspective, and I definitely think that in my experience at TM, uh, definitely, uh, you know, I, I think I could develop more of a sense of humor, certainly, but, but, um, but I think that it has helped me to, 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 to develop a wider, uh, perspective. And in fact, the, the research shows, uh, that, that people, you know, they're, um, able to not only focus more sharply, but at the same time have this wider view. And I think that that is really important in our world today because we need a wider perspective. Uh, in order to understand people who are different from us. Uh, in our world today, we have such diversity. In our country today, we have a growing, um, diverse population. And we know that, that at the basis, everyone is the same. We are the same, uh, you know, human beings on the basis. We may be different on the surface, but that's beautiful if you can step back and take a wider perspective and not get too concerned about every you know, every difference in what this, you know, how this threatens me or whatever. But if we have a wider perspective, if we're stationed in that silence, if we're stationed in a strong, stable um, self, the, you know, the bigger self, then the differences don't threaten us anymore. And then we can enjoy the whole world family. In fact, the world becomes our family. I, I love that. I love that. As, as you were talking, I was just kind of having a kind of somewhat of an epiphany that, you know, because I, I live right across the street from the beach, when when I walk over to the ocean and, and there it is, you know, it's like there's something immensely expansive that happens, you know, with the emotional body and with any anything that, you know, is, is going on. 
then I go from a, a, a certain view, right, a, a certain um, sense of things, to just all of a sudden just enveloped in that, you know, huge energy of in, infinity, and, and things that may have seemed to be larger than become a lessening or expansive. And I, so when you were talking, I was kind of visualizing that the silence, you know, often when people are resisting that, usually it's, it's the doers instead of the beers. Um, I don't think that's correct English, but you know, it, it's bringing in that sense of being right instead of that sense of uh, doing, um, in that, in that perspective, it's like, how could I possibly go do that? You know, when I have all these things to go on and whatever, but it really, it expands the heart chakra, doesn't it? Silence is to the heart chakra like water is to our emotional chakra, and it expands us, doesn't it? It, it makes us feel more expansive. Of there's, there's so much more room for possibilities and... Um, Anyway, I'm just, I'm loving that, just that connection and the freedom with you to go on kind of this journey to have my own aha moments. Thank you for that. Well, I think that's beautiful what you just said, um, you know, comparing the infinity of silence to the infinity of the ocean. Actually, right now, my husband and I are here in Vero Beach, uh, so uh, just near you, and um yeah. Anyway, um, you know, we normally live in Fairfield, Iowa, but we spend the winters here. And, uh, and so I walk on the ocean every morning, too. And, and it's so true, just, just taking in that expansive nature, um, you know, the, the expansiveness of nature, it can ch- shift your whole perception. And I think there's even research that shows that looking at mountains, even pictures of mountains, can do that, too, can cause a person's brain to shift and have taken a wider perspective. And definitely... You know, if we're not near the ocean or near the mountains, that we still have the ability to to experience the infinity inside ourselves every day, every morning, every afternoon, and that's really the miracle of meditation. I think is that wherever we go, wherever we are, if, even if we're on a, a subway, we can close our eyes and meditate and experience that that infinite reservoir of of happiness, of bliss, of intelligence, of of power, of creativity, um, of silence inside us. And so I think that's that's just a beautiful uh, point that you brought up. And, and I love it, Linda, that, you know, you're, I love the point that you made because it, it's not, um, you know, I used to teach in stress management. It's, you know, when you make your to-do list, make sure you're on the top. And when it comes to, you know, that level of self-care or, or you know, that medicine that we are calling and knowing to be silent, that it's often, uh, I'll get to it, you know, when I'm doing everything else. What I want to highlight is, is when you have those moments of silence, and they're not always 20-minute blocks. And I love that you said you find them where they are, like you could make a decision on your way home, from your office, not to turn on the radio and not to be texting at traffic lights, hopefully, you know, that are red and no other time or, you know, talking on the phone, you could say, I'm giving myself this level all the way home. There are many different ways to do it within what you're already doing. Now, yes, you're having to focus there, but it's a start, right? It's a, it's a head start. It's a jump start. And what I've learned when I do go to the silence in that quiet, a lot of things I had on my to-do list, I decide not to do. <laughs> or they're not necessary. You know, it changes you. Yes, I think that's really true. Or or somehow something simpler, a simpler solution comes up. and Or, or maybe the person calls you and it's all taken care of. Uh, I find that happens often when I, um, you know, if I have some problems or something, and I, but I just do my regular meditation. I, um, for me, it's it's very much a routine: morning uh, before breakfast and afternoon before dinner. Uh, that's what's recommended with TM and uh, transcendental meditation. But but anyway, so I do I do that. I do that every morning and afternoon. And even though sometimes I struggle with that, of course, because I think I'm just too busy. I can't, you know. But I do it anyway. And what I find so often is that there, the solutions to the problems come up just because we all know when we're more rested that we, um, 
you know, that, that we, we can see solutions where, we, where before we maybe we saw problems. Suddenly, you know, a good night's sleep, for instance, we, we see solutions in the morning. Um, and with, with meditation, with transcendental meditation, the actual research has shown that this, the rest is actually deeper than sleep and the mind is also becoming um, in a heightened state of awareness, heightened alertness and more alpha one wave. So there's actually um, the, whole bo- the whole brain is going in coherence. It's in, in phase, in other words, it's becoming more coherent. All the different parts of the brain are lining, the brain waves are lining up together. And so what they find is that, um, you know, it's really using more of the full potential of the mind. And therefore, you know, you really are seeing things differently after you, you, you meditate. And, and after you experience that, that profound silence, you know, you, you are changed. I, th- I agree with you completely. Well, um, I tell you, I've, I've explored your, your website, lindaeganis.com. Uh, that is Linda, uh, E-G-E-N-E-S.com. And I want to urge all of you to go and, and visit Linda and look at the various things she's done. You've, you've co-authored a, a number of necessary books um, for us to all benefit from now. Um, how did you step into that door? Did you just say, you know what, I, I do have some sharing to do about healthy living and, and disease and, and different things. Was there a window or a bridge or is there a story there? Or am I just wanting to make one? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there's always a story. Uh, I, well, what happened was that um, I started wanting to be a school teacher, but I found I didn't really have the physical stamina for that, much as I love children. Um, and and also, I think because I'm more introverted, I really found it difficult to be on every day for a great you know, for a group of people, and you really have to be somewhat of a performer, I think, in some in a good way, you know, to right. to teach. You have to be a social person, really. And I found out, you know, that wasn't really me. So I went into I took an MA degree in writing, and um, and then I became a professional writer, and I was writing a lot about Ayurveda, and uh, I had different clients, and was writing newsletters and magazine articles, and and news and uh, ads and different things like that, booklets and stuff. And then this woman, Kumita Reddy, my co-author, who who I ended up co-authoring five books with, um, she's an, uh, was a medical doctor. She had come from India originally with her husband, but had become uh, trained again. You know, gotten her residency in, in the U.S. and practiced here for 25 years as an anesthesiologist. She also was um, teaching at the State University of New York in Albany, and uh, and then she decided she wanted to, she started transcendental meditation and then through that she became interested in ayurveda you know which was kind of the traditional healthcare system of india which she grew up with but you know which she had not really been practicing but she became a practitioner of ayurveda which means uh basically means lifespan improving the lifespan it's a whole preventive kind of approach um using you know like say um diet uh, exercise, uh, um, you know, massage therapies, aroma therapies, all these things that are coming into four now, but, you know, which has been there for thousands of years and, and uh, being used in India. But anyway, another, and other ancient traditional systems of, of medicine. Uh, so, so anyway, so she went back and so she started a practice then and started, uh, you know, using Ayurveda in her practice and she was having really amazing results with people with chronic disease. And uh, so she wanted to write some books to educate her patients. And so she, she actually ended up writing about 10 books. And so, but she invited me to co-author several of those books. I ended up co-authoring um, the one on uh, For a Blissful Baby, which is about pregnancy and childbirth using uh, Ayurveda, these natural, uh, natural um, modalities to, to stay healthy in child, um, you know, before prenatal care and also uh, post, uh, you know, for the, the the baby and for the mother postpartum, and uh, and then uh, then we did a book called Super Healthy Kids, and that was uh, you know a parent's guide to Marshi Ayurveda using all these natural modalities to help kids stay healthy. We did a few other books too, but those were major ones. And in the book uh, Super Healthy Kids, we said. Uh, you know, that uh, one of the ways to raise a healthy child is to give good role models in literature in different ways. And so um, then out of that came this book, this current book that um, I, we just published, 
the Ramayana. And uh, that book, because that book does give role models of enlightened heroes and heroines uh, who are, um, you know, kind of like ideal, who show, show ideal qualities of behavior and are a great role model for kids. And so that's kind of the progression of how it all unfolded. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I just, I love the, the books you've co-authored and, you know, all that you're about. And obviously we want to talk more about your most um, recent book, but Back to, um, you know, for those of you that are listening that know anybody that is now, you know, uh, pregnant, uh, going to be planning to be pregnant or, you know, having a young child, those beginning phases of that first five years and what they are exposed to, uh, not only in the womb as far as eating and, and healthiness and then everything thereafter, it I just have found it makes a profound difference. And Linda, I'm so glad you're taking that on. And I, I want to recommend to any of you that know anybody that you forward the show and forward Linda's information. And, uh, Christine, it's Linda, uh, Eganis. It's E-G-E-N-E-S, all E's, E-G-E-N-E-S.com. And you can see the books there. And what you need to do to order them or to, you know, send them as gifts to your friends. I have seen such a difference with that. And I, I want to talk a little bit about that, if you're okay with that, Linda, because it's so important. You know, because at some point we want to break the cycle. We want to break the cycle of addiction. We want to break the cycle of, you know, the sugar babies and, you know, all those different things, right? I mean, because it's just a continuous cycle. I was telling someone on a, a show I had not too long ago, that already being a, a big energy a kid, you know, uh, my father, would he felt like he was doing a good job, but he used Marita bread, and he put white sugar on it and butter, and that's what I had for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I school. I went to school, and I was jumping out of my skin and jumping out of my seat and, you know, and all that. Um, I mean, I bet I would have been a lot to deal with already, uh, but my <laughs> right, my diet uh, was just it put me over the top. I mean, I almost had the shakes. I would be so sugared up, you know, throughout, and then I would hit the low, and then go through the cafeteria and get more sugar in a different package, and just be be off the ceiling. And that you know doesn't have to happen you know and and educators when a when a child is smart and you know has a bad grade in conduct it's it's usually two things uh what they're eating or what's eating them right linda there it's, you it's, go that's a great way to say it i love that it's um, one of those things if you see the conduct i mean nobody sets out to go to school as a little kid with a matching outfit and says i'm going to be the biggest troublemaker there uh, it's a, it's a, it's a zone. It, it's a red flag, but I, I, I get so passionate about it because it just, it's like, let's break the cycle people. And the other thing that I just wanted to say, and I wanted to, you to add, say to me, well, that could be or not, um, is that there's two different families that I know very well. And one, you know, raised the children with all fried foods. The child got to pick what they ate. Uh, when the mom was carrying the child, we're talking grease, we're talking fried, we're talking diets. Uh, no, not even diet. Coke, you know, sodas. We won't name any companies, but just yuck, okay? And mm -hmm. and lots of carbs and lots of junk. What I observed about that child after it was born, and then through the next phases of the next ten years of that per child's life, it never could get enough. It was always needing that oral fixation, always. And then it continued the same patterns. You take a different mom that watched, ate healthy, didn't eat sugar, didn't drink alcohol, blah, 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 blah. And that particular child, you know, could be at the department store and you could say, I'll buy you something that you want within this amount of money. What would you like to have? And that child would say, you know, I don't really need anything. I'm okay. Okay? Yeah. yeah. What, I mean, there's such a connection with that, right? 
Yes, I think so. Um, actually, um, I was just thinking of a conversation I just had with my sister, who I think is listening today. Hi, Kathy. Um, um, she um, was uh, saying that, that she was really grateful that her kids didn't really, uh, her two daughters don't really desire to eat, drink pop, you know. They don't really, right. they never order it. They just don't crave it. They don't have it in the house. And, you know, Kathy never drank it when she was pregnant, and they never had it around. They just didn't, you know, like I remember when um, when her first daughter, Karina, was young, uh, when she was like three, they, Kathy went on a play date with a, with another mom and took the kids, with the kids, of course, and they went to a McDonald's, and it was the first time Karina had ever been to McDonald's, and the other mom said, what's, what's your daughter's favorite Happy Meal? And Kathy was like, well, Actually, I've never been here before with her, you know, and uh, so I think that that's mm-hmm. definitely, you know, that, that what we, you know, it starts in the womb for sure, and, uh, you know, but what you, you um, put in front of the children, what they, if they, if you, you know, allow, if you give them healthy foods, they will choose healthy foods. They will, it, it becomes a habit, and uh, it's what they crave because, you know, they feel better doing that, and so they aren't craving the sugar and all that. And it's it's kind of a habit, you know, and, and it's it's also, you know, like we're so subject to um, marketing now. And so if you have that inside you that you don't crave it, it's such a great tool, a great kind of uh, uh, defense against all this marketing to kids and to ev- all of us every moment with the hyperpalatable foods, you know, to, to, to eat all the time. And But if you have that kind of, of stable, um, you know, physiology where you, you know what makes you feel good and you just go for those, it's a great, it's a great defense against all that. And in Ayurveda, they have a... Um, there's a principle that um, there are six tastes to food. We, we tend to just think about three sweet, sour, salty, like that. But... Um, three or four tastes, but in Ayurveda there are six tastes, sweet, sour, salty, bitter, astringent, and pungent. And astringent means dry, so like uh, beans, like, um, you know, pulses, like lentils and small small beans and that. And um, pungent meaning spicy and, and uh, bitter meaning, you know, like a bitter green or something. So um, what they say, what Ayurveda says, a max, one of the, the principles of Ayurveda is that you should have all of those six tastes in every meal. And if you have all of those six tastes in every meal, then you don't have food cravings. That food cravings usually are a desire to get one of those six tastes. And you might not go for that mm-hmm. taste. You don't know, oh, I need the bitter taste. You would go instead for sugar. But if but people who have weight issues and also cravings, often it's because of not really having a balanced diet of all these six tastes. So um, that's part of kind of what's, uh, you know, uh, and it's not that hard to include these six tastes once you know about them. And, um, you know, and, and also there's another maxim in Ayurveda that if you don't feel if you don't feel satisfied at the end of a meal, if you're still craving something, then the food itself, there's something that was missing from, from the meal. You know, something there is missing. Uh, a sati- uh, you know, a food should bring satisfaction. It should bring a feeling of satisfaction and not craving. So, um, you know, I think those are some interesting principles that, that are easy to apply and can help children and families to develop a more balanced diet and, and to overcome some of these these, uh, you know, pitfalls of our modern world in which, you know, sugar is found in so many forms and fed to children and, as you say, has, you know, negative consequences to the child. Uh, Linda, I, w- I want to thank you so much. I w- Would you be willing, please, to put those in the comment section of our live Facebook streaming so people can pick it up, um, the six um, types of food to eat or the, fi- uh, the six tastes? That would sure. be really great if, if you would do that. And um, it, you, you mean maybe late, late? Yeah, sure. Later, you mean? <laughs> yeah, later. Yeah. Um, but when we were um, when you were talking about drive-through window, I know it's funny. Uh, people laugh when I say I, it's probably close to twenty years that I haven't gone through a drive-through drive-through window. Um, but what I would say is. Uh, you know, too many drive-through windows lead to the other type of drive-through window. 
And so I'll just let people kind of sit with that and then they can kind of put together what I'm talking about. Or if our guest wants to make a comment because they've already figured it out, I'd love to hear from you. Um, if you are loving these kind of shows, please share them with your friends. Because of you, we are featured and, and heard by people all over the world. We greatly appreciate you and we tend to feature great people like Linda Eganis that we give a broad range of possibilities of intentional spirits of what people can really use and benefit from for the tools to living in an amazing and incredible life. Um, please go to templehays.com and sign up for daily news and staying in touch. I'd love to hear from you or visit us at firstunity.org. We'll be right back after this short break. Thank you for being with us. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach. Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. notice that there might be something not quite right, but you just can't put your finger on it? We may describe it as an inner stirring, a restlessness, a yearning to find our way home to our heart and higher purpose. Some of us may feel like we are living on borrowed time, that despite our accomplishments, what was once so important to us now just feels empty and meaningless. If you find your heart longing, wanting, looking for a path home to authenticity and purpose, join us for transformation, inspiration, hope, and possibility. Move toward your higher calling. Listen to The Call of Spirit with Evelyn Foreman and tune in to Possibility every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time here on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for listening to The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being with Reverend Temple Hayes. If you have a question or comment about today's discussion, you can email us at theintentionalspirit at unityonlineradio.org. Now, here is your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. And welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Linda Eganis. She is an author, a broad range of healthy living, on the inside and out, actually, her website is Green and Healthy Inside Out, a writer's journey into all things sustainable. It's Linda Eganis, E-G-E-N-E-S. Thank you again, Linda, for, for being with us. And I know that your most recent book is, uh, is such a passion for you. Um, give us some more insight into the book and, and some of the reasons that it's important to you and how you feel like we can benefit from it. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me, and this has been a wonderful discussion so far. I really enjoyed it, Temple. Um, so um, the name of the book is The Ramayana, A New Retelling of Valmiki's Ancient Epic, Complete and Comprehensive, 
And it's uh, by myself and my co-author, Dr. Kumita Reddy, MD. And um, the book, uh, so I think your question was, what is the book about? It's like, I kind of lost track of that, but is that what you wanted to know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and what are the ways that you feel it's important to us as readers that it's that, you know, must have on our, on our, on our desk? Mm-hmm. Well, the Ramayana is the most widely read epic in history. It's, it's the, an epic poem. And uh, it's probably one of the oldest, uh, and and it is one of the longest epic poems at 24,000 verses. <clears throat> but unlike many epic poems, such as we know about, such as the Iliad or the Odyssey or Gilgamesh or something, it's, um, it's actually uh, not a dusty old tome. It's actually a living spiritual guide to nearly a billion people in India today. It's actually the most widely read book in the world today, um, not only in India but also in Nepal, um, Sri Lanka, Thailand, Cambodia, Myanmar, and Bali. And those billions of people consider it to be their spiritual guide. And it's also gaining more and more popularity in the West, or more and more uh, readership in the West. Um, it's really the story of an enlightened prince, Rama, who is beloved by all the kingdom, yet is unjustly banished to the forest for 14 years. Um, his faithful wife, Sita, and his devoted brother, Lakshman, follow him. And the three encounter friends and foes, from forest sages to horrific demons to flying monkeys and wise bears. <laughs> so there's something in it for everyone. Um, but when his innocent wife, Sita, is captured by the demon king, the hero Rama ends up not only rescuing her, but liberating the earth from darkness. And as Ramayana scholar Michael Sternfeld noted in the introduction to our book, the Ramayana has been described as the original epic quest, comparable to the Bible, Star Wars, and Romeo and Juliet, all rolled into one. But why has it been revered through the ages? And this comes to a very interesting part about the Ramayana, and that is that it features enlightened heroes. The hero Rama um, demonstrates ideal behavior in so many different relationships, as a son, as a husband, as a brother, as a ruler, as a disciple, as a friend, um, and as an enemy. And what makes it interesting is that he and his wife, Sita, who is equally, um, you know, enlightened and, and uh, also shows great, um, you know, beautiful qualities, um, that these enlightened characters through the, the story are pushed to their extremes. They're pushed to their limits. They're separated. You know, Sita is kidnapped and by the demon king, and, and Rama must rescue her. It's very high stakes. Um, but they are revered because even in the most trying of circumstances, they maintain balance and dignity and demonstrate compassion and forgiveness to friends and foes alike. And uh, so this is why the Ramayana is so beloved uh, throughout the ages because of this, this um, ex- because they are ex- examples of ideal behavior or what is called the principle of dharma in, in um, Indian philosophy or evolutionary behavior or evolution, or that which supports ideal living or uh, evolutionary uh, living, dharma. So they uphold dharma. But it's not in abstract terms, it's in this very riveting story. And um, so that's kind of why I think it's still relevant today. I believe that uh, this particular uh, book was uh, one of my assignments in um, in shamanism. I believe it was a, a required uh, to read some of it and then kind of give my own interpretation of you know certain parts of the story. It it's it's uh, it's like the Grand Wizard of Oz kind of story, isn't it? It's <laughs> yes, it's so- definitely like a fairy tale or like a, uh, some kind of a fantasy. It's kind of an unbelievable tale so much wisdom that that you can pull from it and 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 so many of us can relate as you know the intention of you know being intentional and and making a difference in the world by being a better person and learning every day and you know often having our ego uh you know uh, kind of calm down when you know people don't recognize who we are or what we're doing or what we're about or our intentions or you know whatever it's just it's an it's an ongoing everyday life path, isn't it? And this is the type of of reading that you can just open a page to of what's going to speak to you on that particular day that that you might need, which is sometimes the greatest way I think to to read 
um, a book. I have many of those around that I just see, you know, what do I need to know today? You know, what would, what would help me? But all of these characters, regardless of what they went through, um, regardless of what they faced, there was something within them that stayed grounded and, and humbled. Would that be, I'm kind of repeating what you said. No, absolutely. Yes, that's right. Grounded and humble and also tolerant and forgiving and compassionate. And uh, for me, and many people have, have said this, that this book kind of in some ways came out at a perfect time because it's, it's really about tolerance towards many different kinds of people because Rama himself, uh, you know, embraced these, you know, he, his allies became these monkey, flying monkeys and uh, bears and, you know, and, and he, he revered this giant um, bird who, you know, who tried to save Sita from being kidnapped, uh, in, but who died in the process. He, he, he performed his funeral rites, the bird's funeral rites, as he would for his own father. It's really about tolerance and, and inclusiveness of all peoples and all species. And uh, uh, it's a very beautiful story in that way. Um, it really kind of exemplifies the, the saying, the world is my family, uh, which is a, a saying from India. Oh, that's great. Oh, and I just learned something new on Facebook Live. I put up my iPad to actually show people the spelling and how to uh, see the title of the book and the subtitle. So, well, that works. <laughs> so. That's great. Thank you, Camille, for asking me and, and uh, reminding me to do that. I, I love to learn uh, new things. That's a that's a beautiful thing. It's always about it's about learning, and we have all these tools here, and we want to use them. So there you go. That I think that helped. Um, so um, and and did how did you find that uh, this this book changed you? Well. I first read this uh, Ramayan like 35 years ago, and uh, my husband actually introduced me to it. Um, he, my husband's a Sanskrit scholar, and um, and he uh, translates San, you know Sanskrit uh, uh, works into like from the literature of India into English. And uh, he was telling me about the Ramayana. He had not translated that, but he was just telling me about it. He had read it years ago. And he was telling me about this beautiful love story and about Rama and Sita. And there's these passages of when they're first exiled to the forest that are so charming. And they're kind of frolicking in the forest. And, and Rama is making garlands to, you know, to give to Sita out of fresh flowers. And <laughs> it's very sweet. And um, so, you know, he was always telling me about these things. So I, I wanted to read it myself. And then, you know, of course, then I, I found out it was much more than a love story. It was also this incredible wisdom. And uh, and I think that there really, there were certain themes throughout it that really struck me and really stuck with me through the years. For one thing, uh, perseverance. Uh, this is a story of perseverance, uh, you know, that um, uh, uh, when Ram first tries to find Siti, he can't, you know, there's no, he's just on foot alone. He's been banished from his kingdom, he just has his brother, there's no one to help him, but he perseveres and eventually, you know, is able to rescue her from the demon king. And uh, uh, this book itself took, you know, I started it, we started it, my um, co-author and I, 19 years ago. (laughs) So it in itself was a story of perseverance. It was a labor of love. And and then there are all these beautiful, uh, you know, qualities of forgiveness that are... um, that are displayed in the story. If I could just even tell you one example, um, even as a child, Ram is beloved by all for his gentle, truthful, and benevolent nature. And um, throughout the story, he's incredibly forgiving to everyone he meets, even his enemies. And for me, one of the most poignant moments happens at the climax of the story when he finally destroys his, you know, the demon king who has stolen his wife. Um, you know, he offered to, to to just walk away if, if if the demon king Ravana would just give back Sita. If he if he if he would give him back, then Ram was willing to forget and forgive all. But he wouldn't do that, so he had to eventually kill him. <clears throat> but anyway, Rama quietly at the end, though, when the demon king is lying flat on the field, um, Rama is consoling Ravana's brother by saying, "Death quells all enmity. We have achieved our purpose." Perform his rights with honor, for he is as dear to me as he is to you. And this was just such a beautiful, beautiful um, moment of forgiveness, 
that, you know, and what Rama was really saying is that, you know, he loved even his enemies as much as he loved his own self or his own brother, as his own brother would love him. And um, throughout the story, these these examples of compassion and kindness and tolerance and forgiveness are there. And I think those are incredible lessons for all of us, for me especially. I, I felt like I really imbibe these more into my life. And, and it, helped, it has helped me in many, many situations to think back on these instances. Yeah, and I, I highly recommend it and for you to take sections of it and actually journal, you know, what it means to you because that's when it becomes, um, it goes from a story to the sacred story of how it can affect your life. And I love this kind of reading. I know that I've, I've read many things about Siddhartha, you know, and, and, and that essence and, and becoming the Buddha and they're, they're life changing stories because they, you take what you need, right? And they, they integrate within you to change you or, and I, I like to say often they can get in the back door, you know, just like the, the movie or the, the book, the story, the, you know, the Wizard of Oz. I mean, you can watch it. It's endless. And it will grab you in a back door. You'll hear it in a different way. You'll have a new insight uh, about it, even though it's the same repetitive story, it, because we change. And, and we hear it at, at a different level. So I'm, I'm very grateful that, you know, that you took the time and that you worked with this in a way that would simplify it and that we could all, all benefit. And it is incredible that, you know, over a billion people use these teachings as like their Bible. It, it's pretty cool. We have a lot of people tuning in with us today, and I want to say hello to Elizabeth from Norway and our friends. Uh, we just uh, had somebody uh, join us from Scotland. Hi, Susan. We're so glad you're here. I just love visiting with all of you all over the world. This is just such a great thing that we have that we're able to communicate in, in such a, a glorious and, and dynamic way for sure. Uh, wasn't there also a book, uh, Linda, that you and your husband, Tom, haven't you written a book together? Did I read that somewhere in my research? Yes. Um, we did, with Kumita Reddy, the three of us did a, a book called um, uh, All Love Flows to the Self, uh, Eternal Stories from the Upanishads. And this is this is like uh, the Ramayana that we, I just did with Kumita Reddy in, in that it's a retelling. It's not a direct translation of uh, these particular okay. stories. They're stories from right. the Upanishads, which are... Another section of the, of the uh, Indian literature, which really is all about transcendence and about finding that field of silence that you and I were talking about earlier in our, our discussion today, and, um, and, and uh, how, you know, it's just such a part of the tradition of India that these saints and seers and, and uh, you know, masters would, would, would teach how a person could could um, experience that silence inside themselves through meditation, and then also they talk about it in different, many different ways. So these are stories, and actually with that book, we originally intended it for children. Uh, it was going to be a series of like 10 stories for children, each of different picture book. But as it turned out, it was too expensive for the publisher to, to do that, um, uh, you know, as separate picture books, so they decided to put it all into one book. So it's a great book for uh, reading aloud to the family. And, uh, you know, it's at bedtime sort of thing and uh, because it, it works kind of for children too. And, and actually even the Ramayana for, for, Ramayana for, for children who are like, say, 9, 10 years old, it's a great book to read aloud. Well, I applaud you uh, for your work and I applaud you for bringing in such a beautiful, um, you know, philosophy and essence from the Eastern traditions, which are, have always worked, and uh, they are the ancient medicine to all of our lives. They're part of our core and, and part of who we are. Uh, reminding everyone to go to lindaegenes.com, E-G-E-N-E-S. Uh, visit me at templehays.com. I'd love to hear your comments. I'd love to hear in the comment section on Facebook Live what type of authors or speakers or teachers that you would like to see us have. We just love the engagement, you know, because at the end of the day, we're all in this together, uh, learning this incredible journey that, that we call life. So visit us anytime. Uh, stay in touch uh, in various forms on Facebook and Twitter. And look forward to seeing all of you 
next week. Linda, thank you so much for being on the show and, and thank you for all that you do. It's been a pleasure to have you and thank you for putting those six tastes in the comment section so our guests will be able to receive those and I know I want it. So thank you for <laughs> Yes, I'll do that. And thank you so much, Temple Hayes. It was just a, a fantastic uh, interview. It was a wonderful uh, time to be able to speak to you about all these uh, beautiful topics. Oh, blessing to me as well. Namaste. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being with Reverend Temple Hayes. Join us every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central for tools and simple applications which will support you from being alive to fully living. This program is brought to you in part by First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida. To learn more about this ministry, go to www.unitycampus.org or www.templehaze.org. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. goes topsy-turvy and turmoil threatens, try this exercise. Think about tranquility. Let the screen of your mind reflect whatever the word tranquility may bring. Perhaps you'll see a majestic snow-covered mountain peak, perhaps a clear still lake or a sparkling stream. Enjoy whatever image comes. It's your thought. Now let yourself find the place of complete stillness deep within you. Here you are poised, serene, and peaceful. The poet T.S. Eliot wrote... At the still point, there the dance is. The dance of life continually shifts its rhythm and form in its attempt to carry you beyond limited ideas of who you are. Enter into the still point of your being. There, regardless of what may surround you, you will find peace. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. This world as it is. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find. of thousands of listeners like you have been transformed through the ministry of Paulette Pipe and her program Touching the Stillness 
one of the longest-running programs on Unity Online Radio. Paulette's latest album of guided meditations, Blissful Stillness, is a new and different experience. The mystical quality of her beautiful voice will reverberate through a Zen-style meditation, a mudra meditation, which are yoga hand positions to deepen your practice, and guided meditations, which we know and love. It features a new instrumental sound by Kelly Hunt with a bonus track by Kathy Zavada. Experience a blissful immersion into quiet and stillness by purchasing your own copy at shop.unityonline.org. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 